0: And we consider a lesson in a series that we have been looking at on Sunday mornings based upon the theme, as we've mentioned before, of the lectureship at the Memphis School of Preaching this past year, the New Testament Christian. And as I uh, was privileged to participate in the lectureship, but as to uh, receive a book and to see these lessons, I thought there's so many good uh, topics here that covers such a wide range of subjects, needful subjects, that perhaps this would be a good basis for uh, a series of lessons. And so this morning we continue uh, that uh, series as we look at the New Testament Christian knows how to study. The New Testament Christian knows how to study. This was the lesson that was presented at uh, Memphis by... Uh, B.J. Clark, a very fine and well-known gospel preacher who is faithful to the Lord and is now the director of the Memphis School preaching, and uh, I have borrowed quite a bit from his uh, material as I've done with these other speakers. But I think that it is certainly material that uh, is worthy of our consideration, and I think this particular subject ties in quite nicely with uh, the theme of the lectureship yesterday here, because we heard about men and women who. Uh, engaged in uh, study, diligent study, and the kind of study that led them out of of religious error and ultimately uh, into a knowledge of the truth it 's incumbent upon every single one of us to engage in the right kind of of study, and that will be the primary emphasis of our lesson today. But as we begin, we begin with a text that is uh, very pertinent obviously to any consideration of how one should study be diligent as the new king james renders second 2 timothy 2:15 2. to present yourself approved to god a worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth rightly dividing is our emphasis from this verse as we look at it we'll come back to it with another emphasis a, a little bit Later on, but rightly dividing literally is translated from uh, from a word or words that means to cut straight. To cut straight, it's like uh, the idea of going down a road that is straight and without veering to one side or the other. You take that straight road right to the goal. To cut straight, it means to rightly deal uh, with a thing. And obviously, it's absolutely imperative that as we study the word of God, as we approach that word, that we do so uh, cutting straight, uh, so to speak. That is rightly dividing. Uh, In other words, we must not mishandle the word of God. You know, something was brought out in the lectureship yesterday about uh, a statement. I think it was Scott Harp. It was in his lesson talking about, the, the first realization really among the people in that uh, time of the divisions between the covenants and, and the fact that you could not go to the old covenant, to the old law for your authority under uh, the new law, that the two laws were just that, two laws. And um, that was um, a problem then that is tragically still a problem today. And so uh, many times when we think about rightly dividing, we think about making sure we understand the difference between the Old and the New Testament. But it goes far beyond that. It is a principle that applies to rightly dividing even within a verse of Scripture, obviously, not just knowing the difference between the Old Law and the New, but not mishandling the Word in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Now that leads to the primary question that I want us to consider today, and that is, how should one approach the study of the Bible. I want us to look at some ways in which we should approach our study of the Word of God. And the application is primarily to those who, who are uh, claiming to be followers of God or are uh, followers of God because uh, there are those, of course, uh, uh, for whom this lesson would have absolutely no application because they're not going to get anywhere near the Word of God. Uh, they're not going to approach it, period. So we are dealing, obviously, in this context with those who have some interest at least in approaching the study of the Bible, in approaching the study of the Word of God. How should we we approach that study? First of all, we should approach it in faith. We should approach it with faith. Faith in the inspiration of Scripture. That's really a a hermeneutical principle, a principle of Bible interpretation that, uh, that is vitally important. We have to have respect for the inspiration of, of the Bible and to realize that it is not simply the work of man unaided or uninspired by God. Remember the very familiar passage is uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by what? We've underlined by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be what? Complete. That says it all, doesn't it? Thoroughly equipped for every, that says it all, every good work. Every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Equipped for every good work. By inspiration of God, by inspiration of God literally means God-breathed. And when we look at the first chapter of Genesis, we are immediately reminded of the fact that this is a God-breathed book. Because not only are we introduced to the name of God here, but God said appears ten times in Genesis chapter 1. So in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth, but God said is there ten times in that chapter. And then time and time again you have phrases like uh, the word of the Lord, the Lord said, the Lord spoke, Uh, Moses talked about the word of the Lord time and time again in the writings uh, in the Pentateuch. And I appreciate what Brother Clark, B.J. Clark, said in his um, in his lecture. Uh, notice this statement. He said phrases such as the foregoing—that is, the uh, the Lord spoke by Moses, etc.—phrases such as the foregoing appear approximately seven hundred times in the first five books of the Old Testament. Similar phrases appear over four hundred times in the Old Testament books of history. All in all, it is claimed that such expressions as the Lord said, the Lord spake, and the word of the Lord came are found 3,808 times in the Old Testament. Well, that simply um, impresses us, or it should, with the fact that this book claims for itself inspiration. It claims to be God-breathed. The phrase, as we noticed a moment ago, by the inspiration of God Uh, is a word that literally means God breathed, that God breathed into by the Holy Spirit these men who wrote the scriptures, the uh, very words that they were to to use. He did not interfere with their personalities. He did not interfere uh, with their writing styles and so forth, but the process was guided verbally, verbally, and in a plenary or complete way. And so, The book claims for itself to be uh, the Bible from God. Brother Clark also makes this statement. If one man reveres the Bible as the Word of God and another views it merely as a good book written by uninspired men, this certainly sets the stage for them to come to different understandings concerning their obligations to its teaching. Indeed, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1 and verse 7. And so the first point is that we need to approach the study of the Bible with faith in the inspiration of the Bible. Because the Bible not only claims for itself inspiration, it proves to the honest mind that it is truly like no other book that has ever been or ever shall be written, and that man alone, unaided by the Holy Spirit of God, could never have penned this book. Anyone who approaches it with that kind of faith and attitude will certainly come away thoroughly convicted that it is truly a book from God. But let's go further. How should one approach the study of the Bible? Not only by faith, but also with frequency, regularity. It should be our frequent companion. And there are passages that remind us of that, as in, Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day, the psalmist wrote. All the day. It is my meditation all the day. I'm not a casual Bible reader. I don't get it off the shelf or off the coffee table and blow the dust off of it periodically and uh, read a passage or two. It's my frequent uh, companion. And listen to this one. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. How much sleep have we ever lost because we're just so involved in Bible study that we can't even, can't even sleep? Think of that statement from the psalmist here. Brother Clark, in his excellent uh, lecture, talks about the daily study of God's word and he asked the question does one regard a daily study of God's word to be as vital to one's spiritual existence as oxygen is to one's physical survival you know I don't go through a day and almost you know finish the day and say oh I I forgot to breathe today (laughs) I better I better breathe no you're not going to make it that long if you don't breathe are you we don't forget to breathe what about the God breathed book the Bible How frequent are we in our study of that word? Now, listen to this illustration. Brother Clark writes, When it comes to reading the Bible, are we like William McPherson? Who is William McPherson, he asked. After a tragic explosion, Mr. McPherson found himself with no hands and no eyes. In his despair, he turned to the Word of God. However, he could not read Braille with artificial hands. He attempted to read the Braille with his lips. But the dynamite had exploded in his face and he had no feeling left in his lips. One day he tried to read the dots with his tongue and discovered that he could distinguish the moon system of dashes. Unfortunately, his tongue became sore and bled constantly. Sometimes he would stay up the entire night just to learn a single letter of the alphabet. Eventually, He mastered the entire alphabet and read the entire Bible with his tongue four times before his death. Brother Clark adds, Surely those of us who do not face the same physical challenges can find time to read the Word of God more regularly. Indeed. You know, when we look at the return from captivity of God's people and at the time that Nehemiah was in the land and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and the restoration of of God's pattern in that particular time. We read that in Nehemiah 8, 2 and 3, so Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. He read from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were what? Were attentive to the book of the law of the law. Reminds us of those who were mentioned in Acts 17 does doesn't it? The Bereans. These were more fair-minded or noble, as the King James says, than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And you remember the very familiar words of the Psalmist in Psalm 1, 1 and 2 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but what? But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he what? Meditates every now and then. No, he meditates day and night. And what about this statement from the psalmist? I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed, Your commandments. Now we open our mouths and we pant, don't we, for physical food. That yesterday, as Steve pointed out, was good stuff. (laughs) And I opened my mouth time and time again and took it in. (laughs) But what about this statement and what about our attitude toward the Word of God? Approach it by faith. Approach it with frequency, but also with focus. You know, it's one thing, and I've said this before, to be a daily Bible reader, to read a chapter a day, two chapters a day, uh, ten chapters a day, whatever. But there's a difference between uh, being a reader and being a student of the Word. Now let's go back to, uh, to that eighth chapter of Nehemiah. And look over uh, a little later in the chapter at verse 8, beginning. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Do you think they were just hearing the words of the law? Or was it making an impression upon them? Were they focused on the word to the extent that when they heard it, they were deeply moved by what they heard, and they wept when they heard the words of the law? They weren't just hearing words. They obviously, at this point in time, were focused. Now go back to Acts 17, 11. Those Bereans, remember? Remember? They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, and here's the key now we want to emphasize, and searched, searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Robertson, A.T. Robertson says this idea of searched is to sift up and down, according to the original. Make careful and exact research. To sift up and down, to make careful and exact research. Now, that wasn't as easy easy for the Bereans. They didn't have it in this form, did they? When they sifted up and down and looked at those those Old Testament scriptures, they had had to really sift. It took some effort. We have it beautifully bound in all sorts of colors, in all sorts of ways, uh, and all sizes of print, so that it makes our sifting a lot easier for us if indeed we are searching. And again, back to the text with which we began, 2 Timothy 2, 15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now our emphasis earlier was on rightly dividing. Now we want to emphasize be diligent. And it means to hasten to do a thing. And now we want to emphasize the word worker. And that word worker in the text has as its basic meaning one who actually is working for hire under the direction of another and who is subject to the employer's inspection of his work. Now think about how that pertains to us. Are we working under the direction of another? Yes, the Lord. Will we have an inspection of our work at some point in time? Oh, yes. When time is no more, our work is going to be inspected. And the source is the word of God. We've got to focus on that, about which we will be examined and according to which we will be inspected. Look at a comparison between Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3.16, a parallel text says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So the admonition in Ephesians 5.18, Paul words it this way, Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. The parallel passage, he words it this way in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How is it that we're to be filled with the Spirit? By letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. One cannot be filled with the word, though, without what? Without focusing on the word. You can't fill yourself with the word unless you are willing to focus on the word. And so faith and frequency and focus. But finally, follow through. We've got to make application. It's not just enough to focus, but we've got to then put into practice what we have focused on. Isn't that what Revelation 1 and verse 3 reminds us in the Revelation letter? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and what? And keep, keep, there's the key, keep those things which are written in it. Now go back to Nehemiah 8 with me again. In Nehemiah 8, as they were examining the the law of God, that they had uh, had, uh, not examined nearly enough, obviously, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That's the feast of tabernacles. Now go on with me in verse 15. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, notice, as it is written. Then verses 16 and 17, Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or in the courts of the house of God and in the open square of the water gate and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. And listen to this. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. They had forgotten the pattern. We talked about the pattern yesterday in the lectureship, the pattern of the New Testament. They had a pattern in the Old Covenant too, didn't they? And the Feast of Tabernacles was a part of that pattern. Tenth day of the seventh month. They had forgotten it. They hadn't practiced it since the days of Joshua. And now look at the result of restoring that. Restoring. And there was great gladness. There was great gladness. Very great gladness. Now the Feast of Tabernacles has as its beginning the law going back to uh, Leviticus chapter 23. Well, how did, they, uh, how did they reason about that? How did they reason about the Feast of Tabernacles? We haven't done this. We haven't done this since, since Joshua's day. Our parents didn't do it. Our grandparents didn't do it. Why should we do it? Because God said do it. They didn't base their practice on what their parents had failed to do or had done. They didn't base it upon what their grandparents had done. They went all the way back to God's word and said, this is what the law said and we haven't done it. We've got to restore it. And could they do that? Of course they could by simply following what the law said. The principle, obviously, is the principle we studied yesterday so effectively with these men who came. That principle being there has been a restoration of the New Testament pattern. And as those in that restoration movement began to see the departure that had taken place, it was a journey and it was a difficult one. Because, as Ron pointed out in class this morning, they were deeply entrenched by their environment, a long-standing practice, and and it was a struggle. But thanks be to God, there were brave men and women who were willing to undergo that struggle. And to realize just what these people in Nehemiah's day realized. We've got to get back to what God said do. Not everyone... We'll follow through. Remember Luke 8, the parable of the sower in Luke's account, verses 13 and 14, but the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy, and those who have no uh, root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. And that's tragic. Brother Clark included this excellent quote in his lecture. Someone has noted men will wrangle for religion, write for it, fight for it, die for it, anything but live for it. And that is the case, isn't it? But what did James say about it? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves how should one approach the study of the bible with faith in its inspiration with frequency meditating day and night and focusing as we do upon its teaching but most importantly we must follow through follow through yes we must uh, we must believe john 8:24 Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. We must repent of our sins, however. Belief alone doesn't save. And those who claim belief alone does save have not followed through. They have not approached the study of the Scripture as they should. And they have not applied these principles that we briefly touched upon today. And therefore, they stop with belief and contend for faith only, tragically, when the Lord who said, Believe that I am He, also said, Repent or perish. Luke 13, 3, and again at verse 5. And he said, confess me before men and I'll confess you before the Father who is in heaven. And yes, he said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. There are those who will tell you that's not necessary at all. There are those who try to tell this brother to whom Steve referred, that's not necessary in effect. They were hesitant to baptize him according to the teaching of the scripture and then he found a gospel preacher who was willing to do it. Why? Because the gospel includes baptism for the remission of sins, and then the follow-through is to be faithful even unto death. Where are you this morning, and what is your attitude toward the Bible? Have you studied it with an attitude of faith and its inspiration, with frequency, and with the kind of focus that has led you to follow through? Oh, there are a great many here who have and who are faithful and need no need no change at all to be made except to keep on growing as we're all seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But you may be here as one who has not obeyed the gospel following these simple but absolutely essential steps. Believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, and then remain faithful. There may be some here who have not remained faithful, as you should have, even after believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. And if that's your situation, we plead with you to come home in repentance in confession of sin in a way that will allow us to pray with you and for you to restore your influence, your example, and your precious soul to God. Will you come as we stand to sing?